Welcome to the EPS podcast, Building Success. In this session, key venue operators focus on the main issues impacting the sector, including what the major new openings around the UK will mean for promoters, suppliers and event attendees. Thank you for coming to the Building Success session. Um, we've got a, a great um, panel um, from very different venues um, up and down the country um, who will be able to provide uh, their perspective on the, um, all the pain points and the opportunities really in the market at the moment and um, the key issues facing um, venue operators. Um, on my immediate left, we've got um, Paul Smythe, he's Wembley Stadium Head of Event Operations. Um, if you can, if you wouldn't mind, Paul, just giving us a kind of like 30 second overview of what your role involves, that'd be, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I'm head of event operations. So within um, my remit, it's the full event management um, for the stadium, for every event at the stadium, uh, full ticketing, opera uh, ticketing ops operation, again, for every single event at the stadium. Uh, the customer engagement team, the day-to-day the -day customer engagement for the stadium and the, the football association as a whole, um, plus also our um, event day customer engagement team, which um, is around 100 strong uh, for, those, uh, for those event days. Um, and then because I don't have enough to do, um, I also uh, look after the England Supporters Travel Club, uh, which is the, uh, the paid membership uh, that takes England supporters abroad uh, for all of the international uh, tournaments. Great stuff. Thank you, Paul. Um, on my right, we have Lucy Hayes, your head of operations at Silverstone Circuits. If you can do the same thing, just give us a brief outline of your, your, your role. Yep. Hi, I'm uh, Lucy and um, at Silverstone I have um, a team mainly made out of, made up of safety individuals. So I have the health and safety, I have security and the medical and circuit safety team um, uh, in my department. But we also look after the day-to-day -day operations of the venue. Um, I act as a designated safety officer um, and uh, I'm responsible for various projects as well that we're undertaking. Um, that also includes liaison with a lot of the external stakeholders and some of our near neighbours, such as the Hilton and our museum as well. Thank you. And um, Kerry Goldberg, you are the owner-operator of um, here and the lower third venues um, that are part of the wider Outernet complex in central London, um, just by centre point. Um, could you also just give us a little bit of an overview, please? Yeah, sure. Um, so my main focus isn't necessarily on the day-to-day -day operations, but I'm the key point of contact for all the stakeholders at Outernet as a district. So Outernet, the media side, Chateau Denmark, the residence and hotel, Tattoo, the restaurant, and Cabo, the restaurant. But I also oversee the programming events um, and operations departments. We have a chief operating officer that does the day-to-day, -day, uh, but mainly the, the ins and outs of the various departments I oversee as an owner. Okay, thank you. Paul, I just wanted to start with you just to give me a flavour of how business is going for the venue post-pandemic. Obviously, uh, Wembley Stadium played a very key role with events, events research projects, um, events with limited capacity during the pandemic, um, very high-profile events. Um, coming out of that, I understand that um, Wembley Stadium had a record year in terms of the number of major events staged uh, within the, within the um, stadium. 
um, and this year is quite a landmark in the sense that it's your 100th anniversary. Um, what, your 100th anniversary? But <laughs> <laughs> the building. I'm not quite that old. Um, so um, could you just give me an idea of, of, of how it sounds like it's a positive place to be at the moment, but can you give me a sort of indication of kind of how, how things are, are going there? Yeah, I mean, the live event industry has come back bigger and stronger. Um, tours that were postponed during the pandemic, um, all trying to be programmed in. Um, global artists are rooting all around the world. And for us, it's trying to find available weekends when we can fit everybody in, uh, to be honest. Um, we're very fortunate that as Wembley, um, it does hold a position in the, in the, in the live event world where uh, world artists want to play at our stadium, which is you know, fantastic for us. Um, we did have a, a record year last year. We had 16 concerts throughout our summer. Uh, 1.3 million people came through the door in the summer. Uh, we had the same around 1.3 million came through the door for our sporting calendar. Um, so, yeah, all in all, so it, was, it was a record year. And, um, yeah, this year is the stadium's uh, 100th uh, anniversary. Um, of the original Wembley that was. Uh, so yeah, 29th of April, um, and we're, we're currently trying to get um, a major event over that weekend to, to, to celebrate that centenary in the, uh, in the best way possible. Great, are you able to give us any hints what that event might involve? I absolutely can not, no. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> um, Lucy, um, obviously Silverstone is uh, synonymous with um, the UK's best known motor circuit, uh, motor, motoring event. Um, but can you give us an indication of you know, what, what goes on in that space um, outside of that event? Yeah, um, we're fairly busy and uh, there doesn't seem to be a day really when there isn't an event of some description um, in the venue. And um, it kind of surprises me that with everything that goes on, we actually managed to um, host the rather large event that you've just been describing. Um, so we have uh, a track that's made up of the international, and that can be split into two. Uh, the Grand Prix that can be split into two tracks, national and international. We also have a smaller circuit. So a lot of our activity is based, obviously, around the track. Um, but we have a desire to be known as more than, um, more than a venue that hosts the Grand Prix. And we want to become more of a family leisure destination. So we've got quite a lot of work going on um, uh, to support that. Um, we're very lucky that the Hilton Hotel came on board last year, was, uh, went live last year with a bridge link to our wing building, um, and that's helped support our MICE events, um, of which we have a lot, and that, that, that link with the hotel has really seen that growth um, from September last year. So that includes sort of large-scale exhibitions and conferences and banqueting. Um, on the other side of it, we have our own retail, so we do our drive, our custom experience, where you can book, a, book a, uh, an experience driving one of the uh, cars around the track. We do a lot of uh, testing um, and uh, track events, um, and we're hoping that next year we'll opening a karting um, circuit as well, an international karting circuit, uh, that will also be used for corporate and retail. Great stuff. So, so busy times. Um, obviously, Kerry, with with the lower third, well, the alternate whole complex, but the lower third um, and here are, are new London venues. I mean, the Historia used to be quite nearby, very much loved venue for for many years, and but for quite a long time there wasn't a venue of of that kind 
in that location, which is so central. How, what's the reception been like from the industry since those two, two uh, rooms became available? Well, I think across the board with so many music venues closing, people were excited to have something in central London again to go see music. Um, our remit was always to bring music back to central London, but really to bring entertainment. Um, so Outernet as a district had about seven years to discuss the project and warm up the industry before we came on as operators and designed and opened the venue. Um, and we could fill the entire calendar for the next two years with music shows if we wanted to. So for us now, it's more about strategy. Um, and what we promised was to bring broad programming. So we wanted to reach ages 2 to 72. So from baby disco to legacy plays. Um, and so far, we're in our sixth month of operation. And we've seen pretty much every box ticked from comedy with Ricky Gervais, Aston Martin launching a car, um, major DJs coming in, big underplays, uh, breaking bands, Gabriel's, Sam Ryder, Metronomy, um, and then on up to Wakanda premiere after party, Prada launching a fragrance there. So some, many days were double and triple using the venues, uh, which has been incredible. That's good to hear, great stuff. Okay, I mean, obviously, um, one thing I should have said right at the outset is we have got a VVOX app. Um, so if you scan that QR code on the screen now, uh, you're able to answer, ask questions directly to the panel, um, which we'll come to later, um, later on. Um, so do get involved. Uh, the idea is to have a bit of interactivity here. So if you want to ask them the questions, please do. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on was, was, was a pretty obvious uh, subject, really, the, the subject of soaring um, energy costs. Um, when it comes to dealing with operating a building the size of Wembley Stadium, um, how are you, I mean, obviously you're in a brilliant place in the sense that you've had you know, a record year. Um, you know, there's strong demand for that space. I understand you, you've opened up more availability to, 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 event, to major events at Wembley as well. How does that all work in, in, in hand with, with the um, concerns around energy prices going through the roof? Yeah, we, um, we were fortunate um, that we were on a very fixed rate for utilities that um, unfortunately ends in, um, in May this year. So our, our utilities are, are going to jump by literally millions of pounds um, a year to, to operate the stadium. Um, so within that, we're, we're having to move projects that were in our capital works into the nice to have column rather than the essential. Um, we were already and we are continuing a, a, um, a piece of work to move a lot of our, um, our lighting to like a more sustainable uh, world. So there'll be savings ultimately on that, but that in itself is gonna cost us in the region about five million pounds to complete the works of um, changing all of, our, all of our light bulbs. Um, so look, it's 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 a difficult time. Um, some of those costs we're we're having to pass on to event owners who are bringing events into the stadium. Um, they understand that. Um, they're also dealing with their own increased costs as well. Um, so, what the the entire industry is finding is that the the, the cost of putting on and delivering um, an event of of any size, never mind um, like a, a major event at um, at our place. Um, the costs are, are skyrocketing, and it's a it's it's a challenge. But the flip of that is you not not at our necessarily at our place at the moment. You you see, but you see um, 
um, events that are going going live at other um, arenas around around the UK, and the tickets are flying out, and they're flying out at astronomical prices. So, it's there. There is a cost of living crisis, but um, we're not seeing yet that affecting um, our attendances. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's good to hear. I mean, I guess but I've had sort of various conversations with promoters and people across the industry and, and the general gist of, of, the, of, of, of the experience that they seem to be having is that the real too big to miss events, you know, the kind of, um, for want of a better way of putting it, but the kind of shows that you come get into your building are, are huge household names, yeah. you know, that people, that there is massive demand for. But I guess... Um, when you when you have smaller venues, I mean, you, you're saying that things are working pretty well at the two build two venues that, that you've got. Um, but uh, are you seeing sort of changing consumer behaviour when it comes to to people's buying patterns and attendance and that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So here, legal capacity is 2,000 for live shows. We're selling 1,500, 1,600, depending on stage configuration. Nightclub nights, 1,800, and then more tickets at the door. Um, we are finding that, because I, I asked my ticketing department, 30% um, of the tickets sell sort of immediately, and then we're finding that they stagnate for a while. People are buying the tickets a lot later. Um, and then on the nightlife side, you know, I think that part is the most interesting, because DJs that you would think would sell out immediately are struggling a little bit more in the market. Uh, I think that demographic is a little bit more price sensitive than maybe someone you know, going to Wembley. Similarly, they're spending the money on the big ticket event and holding back on some of the stuff that would be nice to go to. Uh, so we definitely are feeling it as well as spending on those big shows. Uh, so a big part of our job now, because we're new, is building the brand of the venue and supporting all the independent promoters that are coming to work in our venue to help them sell tickets. Great. And, and Lucy, obviously, you know, you, your Grand Prix is such an enormous event and um, there's, you know, it's a hugely aspirational event, um, always does incredibly well. I know. Uh, how, how, how difficult is the rest of the business outside of it? I mean, do you get a lot of knock on business because of that event and people want to go to the venue because it's so historic and, and you know, synonymous with Formula One? Um, I think that's a difficult question to answer because we've got so many different um, revenue streams and so many different um, event departments. I mean, I think um, the club meetings have been, a, have been a difficult challenge. The numbers are incredibly low in comparison in some of them, um, although they've been fairly static. And actually, our first club meeting this year uh, had more in than the previous year. I mean, we're talking hundreds, not thousands, um, but that was, that was good. Um, Definitely our MICE department's doing really, really well. Um, we're getting a lot of last minute bookings. Uh, you know, they're, they're coming in with much shorter turnarounds than they've ever done before. Um, but uh, that seems to be doing really well. And I think it's probably because we've got that link with the Hilton where we can have people staying over. Because I think, you know, we're very central in the country, but also, you know, without, without being able to offer accommodation, it's not an easy place to, to have a large event and then an evening function. Um, the the idea that we've got the museum also helps. You know, we're looking at we're looking at making um, making it a destination where someone can spend the whole day there and not just half a day doing a bit of a track tour or um, something in the museum. So everything combines. But yeah, I mean, I think it is a challenge. I think it's something that we're constantly looking at. Okay, and and how how important is it to be flexible in terms of the types of entertainment that you can put on I mean I imagine it's very important but you know interestingly I think with Formula One obviously it's, it's kind of become almost like a festival 
you know, with, mass with a huge music stage and lots of artists playing there. And, you know, the, the, so the entertainment on offer has been broadened uh, in recent years. Is that very much a kind of ongoing strategy? Absolutely, and probably even more so. I mean, I think, you know, there is an absolute desire from the F1 to make these an absolute festival feel, you know, that spectacular feeling from the moment someone arrives potentially on the Thursday to when they leave on the Sunday or even the Monday morning. Um, so we really pushed that boat out last year. Um, that's something that we're looking at doing again this year. Um, in, it helps us in essence. It helps us with our crowd management, our crowd flows and our traffic management to be able to stagger people, to be able to encourage them to come earlier and leave later. Um, but yeah, absolutely, that's something that we're working on really hard right now. Okay, thank you. I, I do want to return to the conversation about um, power a little bit for a moment because I understand that a lot of work is, a lot of, work, a lot of great work is happening across the industry. Obviously, more needs to be done, but I understand quite a lot of work is happening at Silverstone in terms of solar, use of solar power and that kind of thing. Clearly, with cost, energy costs going up, it makes economic sense to invest in you know, sustainable energy sources. So can you just talk through exactly what the strategy is at Silverstone in terms of that? Yeah, I mean, I think we were fairly lucky in that we started this last year before we realized where the uh, energy market was going. Um, and so we've literally just finished the second stage of um, installing solar panels onto our wing. There's about 4,000 or so square meters of, of panels. It's a lot. Um, and uh, that probably gives us back about 10% um, of, our, of our energy consumption. It's not got batteries to it yet, but that's the next stage of having battery power so we can store that energy. And we do lots of other things as well. I mean, we're doing the same with BMS systems. We're doing the same with LED lighting. We're looking at our own maintenance fleet, uh, of which that's uh, considerable to turn those, hopefully, coming forward into electric vehicles, although there is a challenge with that because the style that we use, such as pickups, aren't necessarily available in electric form. Um, and uh, the use of HVO generators, so that any temporary generator that we use on site, that helps us reduce that carbon footprint. Um, and then we are looking, hopefully, uh, towards the contract stage in, in April to convert our energy to make sure that it's all fully renewable. Um, not sure that really helps us with the cost, um, but that's our commitment. Uh, with our shift to zero that uh, hopefully in 2030 we're meeting some um, pretty ambitious goals. Yeah, that's great to hear. I mean, at, at um, the lower third um, and here, um, obviously they're, they're new buildings, so I presume you, that, that, that sustainability has been built into that whole project. But could you maybe just kind of give us some ideas of, or, or give us some um, examples of, of how that works and, and what they are? I can probably touch on some of it, but I'm not an expert on it. Um, so yes, because we didn't have to retrofit an older space and we could put in new technology from start, you touched on the BMS systems. Um, I actually don't know how to turn the lights on in the venue, I'll be honest. Uh, but um, we have very specific protocols about you know when we turn the air conditioning on, how long it takes to cool the, the building down. And again, because we're working with new technology, it is much more efficient. The district itself um, had a deal already with a power supply um, company, and so we just tapped into that. But it is um, with Corona, I believe, um, so all sustainable, um, and I understand renewable energy from what, what um, has been explained to me. Uh, but similar to everyone else, we've turned off, um, we have a massive glow bar that's all LED screens. That's turned off during the day. Um, if we have site visits, we have specific protocols about how lights are turned on and what we're using. We have a massive screen in the venue, same thing. That gets turned on for site visits, and otherwise it's off until shows go. Great. Okay. And, Paul, I'm just interested, obviously, 
um, historically, uh, stadium concerts have been powered by um, you know diesel generators. I know that's kind of there's moves to sort of move away from diesel generators, but I mean um, you know festivals are even trying to connect now to the to the grid where they possibly can. Clearly, that makes a lot of sense. But can you? I mean, I was quite surprised to learn you know that 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 concerts work that way in in uh, stadium environments. So. That must be something that I'm hoping that the stadium industry or stadium sector is, 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 is looking to move away from. So what kind of progress is being made uh, with stadium mobility measures at, um, at Wembley? Um, yeah, I mean, look, as, as for sustainability measures for the stadium itself, we, uh, we operate under the ISO 2012-1 standard. Um, so we're, we're a zero landfill venue, have been since uh, 2012. Um, all of our waste is um, fully recycled, apart from what can't be recycled, which is then burned for energy. Um, everything is sorted um, either on site or um, in, in, in Southwark um, after an event. Um, and when we, when we have tours coming through, we, have, um, we had Coldplay through last summer who are um, all about the sustainability um, and the you know, trying to make their tour as carbon neutral as possible. So we had um, um, a lot of changes within the stadium for for those shows, which we're going to carry carry forward. Uh, but uh, to Lisa's point, that that um, that comes with an increased cost, um, but it is something that we we are keen to keen to do and and will do and, and go forward. Uh, but also within the the, the uh, 2012-1 standard, it's not just about um, the building being sustainable from a um, from a waste point of view or an energy point of view. Um, it's all about other initiatives, um, like around the community and making sure that the stadium itself is sustainable and fully uh, fully accessible. And we're, we're, we we pride ourselves in in being what we believe is the most inclusive stadium in the um, in the country, Europe, and you know maybe even the world. Um, we, you know, we have fantastic facilities for, for guests with, with um, all manner of um, uh, special access requirements. Um, and just in the past year, we, um, for every single concert, we now offer a, a full BSL provision. Um, and for, for the first time in, in our history, uh, we, we had around 900 guests um, who uh, watched all of the shows in the summer and were fully signed. Um, we um, very recently opened two new uh, sensory rooms uh, for guests um, who may well have never been able to get to get to an event or a family bringing out, being able to bring and come as a family unit and, and come to a live event for the first time and seeing what that actually did for that family unit, um, it, 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 you know, it just hammered home how important what we're doing from that sustainability point is, but it's not just about the, um, um, you know, singing from the rooftops that um, nothing that we produce as waste goes into, you know, goes into landfill. Um, and our most recent, which has just been signed off with our main board a couple of days ago, um, involves our pitch. So our pitch, obviously, there's a lot of organic in there. Um, people may or may not be aware, but our pitch is also 5% synthetic. Um, that synthetic piece now, when we change our pitch, we're now able to recycle that, and it's actually been turned into goalposts um, or um, bibs for uh, for kids that, um, that that play football in in, in grassroots. So 
Um, you know, we're, we don't stand still and it's not our, our intention to, to, to slow down in what we're, and what we're currently doing. Okay, that's, that's great to hear. I, I wanted to stick with you, Paul, for a minute because um, the next subject I really wanted to talk about was an, a, a, another aspect of changing consumer behaviour post-pandemic, uh, not in terms of buying habits and buying behaviour, but in terms of their behaviour at events. I mean, I've talked to quite a lot of security experts and they're saying that there's uh, issues globally, um, whether it's being influenced by um, the Woodstock Netflix series and people, sort of uh, young people, behaving badly because they're sort of wanted to repli replicate that sort of behavior, or whether it's just they have an experience of, of how to behave in, in, in crowds, or maybe there's some frustration post-pandemic, Wh whatever it is psychologically, but there is changing behavior at events. So obviously there was um, that concerning disorder that happened at the Euros at Wembley. Um, what impact has that had and how much of a consideration, obviously it's a big one, but how much of a consideration is kind of consumer behavior, consumer behavior, attendees behavior, um, you know, at, at your building? Yeah, I mean, every event is risk assessed. Um, every event that we, we've had since the stadium opened, so which we're told is around 530 major events now, uh, comes with its own challenges. Um, it was def definitely a, a change um, post-pandemic and during pandemic, you know, like we were part of the event research program, so we were um, the first venue to start bringing people back into in, into that environment, and um, you could you could tell that people had been locked up a little bit too long. You also had people who have had the first eighteen months of adulthood in their bedroom, you know, and so um, some of the behaviour was challenging, has been challenging. Um, as a venue, we've, um, we've implemented um, a few new measures. Um, as a result of that, we now have a um, public space protection order in place for any live event at the stadium. Uh, that basically means that once you get into our zone X, so um, the last mile people may also know it as, um, no alcohol can be consumed, no alcohol can be um, purchased from um, any shop in the area where we have the PSPO in place. Um, and what it's, what it's actually, um, uh, what we're actually seeing is people's behavior is better when they get into our venue. And what we're also seeing is we're seeing um, an earlier arrival profile of people coming into the venue where we can, um, no, we can best serve people. We can best uh, give them the service that um, they want, they need, they require. Um, and they are, I guess, slightly more controlled. They're slightly more controlled when they're in our environment. And um, certainly post uh, 2021, we've had 35 major sporting events um, with not a sniff of um, the challenges that we, we had on that day in, um, in July. Excellent. Okay. And, and Lucy, obviously, you know, the, um, the Grand Prix is a huge, huge event, uh, massive crowds. Um, has there been kind of any issues that, that, that you've seen sort of since the reopening after the pandemic? I think we're very lucky in that we've got a very compliant crowd. Um, they are, on the whole, uh, most of them are there to watch the racing. Um, they're there, you know, they probably save up all year. It's almost their holiday for them. Um, and so we haven't really had huge amounts of issues. I mean, last year, 
I think there probably was a slight turn, um, and it's something that we are quite mindful of, that there is always the odd few um, that do tend to ruin it for others. I think we, whether this is, whether this is all due to post-pandemic or whether this is due to uh, a Netflix program uh, that has sort of enabled um, an audience that hasn't been interested in the past, which is great for us because that brings us a whole new demographic, that brings us a younger crowd in, which that's a real, real positive to us. Um, but it also has sort of enabled that team rivalry a little bit. And so you do see things playing out now that we haven't experienced before. Um, and it's something that we're very mindful of. Uh, F1 also are. This isn't something that is... Um, uh, isolated into the UK, uh, and so F1 are looking at their messaging that they're sending out, as are we. Um, and then, of course, we're thinking about all of the security and safety aspects and ramping up certain areas to make sure that we can make the event enjoyable for everybody else. Okay, great. And um, obviously, Live Nation's uh, Brixton Academy is currently shuttered uh, following the awful events that happened there. Um, do you see? I mean, do you see any impact across the industry as a result of that? I mean, obviously, everyone's having to look at. They, they, you know, there's an investigation into it at the moment. We don't know the results of that investigation. BBC's been running various stories from insiders saying, you know, that there wasn't enough medical staff and various issues with security. How much? Uh, how much of a sort of shockwave is that sent through the industry? Do you think? I mean, on our side, uh, being a new venue, already going through growing pains, opening in the first six months is one part of it. Um, we, like everyone else, risk assess every event, have our director of security working with managers and, and the COO. Um, in our case, we have to be a little bit more sensitive to the promoters and the genres of music that we're putting in as well. Um, because we're new and everyone's focused on a 2,000-person venue in central London, waiting to see how that will impact the neighborhood, which we're equally conscious of. Um, but with the programming department, we work a lot uh, more in detail now to see what's coming in and what events make sense for us to work with because we're not promoters. We're, we're reliant on the outside promoters. Uh, and certainly it's changed a little bit of the way that we risk assess the events um, from the security side. Okay. Um, just, just to see if anyone's got any questions from the audience. Um, can we um, see if any, we have any questions on VBOX? Just one minute. There we go, we got three, excellent, okay. Um, what, let's, let's go for the Silverstone one there. What are Silverstone's plans for the VR experience? Are the plans for a VR experience? Probably not asking the right person that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I would pass that to a colleague. I don't know if there are any, if I'm honest. Okay. Um, it's a nice question. Wembley Stadium's highlights from its record-breaking year last year? Record. Um, for me, personally, it was, uh, don't get me wrong, it was a very sad occasion, but it was the Taylor Hawkins tribute. Um, the, uh, the band <clears throat> and um, everyone that came together to, to, to play that day um, were on site for a week uh, before the concert. Um, they turned our press conference room into a jam room um, where you had you know, Dave Grohl uh, bashing away on his drums uh, with the uh, other surviving members of Nirvana. You know, and every artist that came in um, 
absolutely sort of parked their egos at the door. And it was, it was, it was such a beautiful occasion and so special to be part of uh, something that was um, um, you know, so important for, for sort of Dave and the, uh, um, um, and, and the Foos. Um, and the, the the crowd that came um, was, you know, it was it was just a spectacular day uh, for us. Um, I guess yeah, I, Coldplay, um, those that, that, those runner shows were um, were everything. Um, they uh, no as, as a band and as a no uh, when they deliver their live shows, they've got so many sort of gags that they've added in over the years that they keep like time on like show and show and tour and tour. So, um, you know, they were like, like joyous for, uh, for everyone that, uh, you know, ev everyone that, everyone that came. So, you know, it's, we're very lucky. We're, you know, we're incredibly lucky for the, the shows that come through. It's, it's, you know, it's creating memories for um, every individual that comes through, comes to our doors, regardless of the show, regardless of the artist, Regardless of whether it's a, a, a music event um, or sport, um, in any of its uh, many guises, really. Okay, great. And we'll, um, I think the other one we had up there a minute ago was, um, I think you might have touched on some of these, but what are, the, what are some of the challenges Alton has faced since opening? Obviously, it's a new building and in a very, very busy part of London. Yeah, so I think um, I'll start with the venues, um, and then I can talk about the district a little bit wider. Um, on the venue side, the same problems that everyone in the hospitality industry has been experiencing, um, a really shortage of labor, um, hiring people, supply chain issues, um, equipment rental prices being through the roof. Um, but as a district, I would say OuterNet, um, it is a new district. It's learning how to work with the stakeholders and how we impact Tattoo, Chateau Denmark, Cavo, um, how we plan to do massive experiential events upstairs and like the now building and now trending while we're doing something major downstairs. So I think to me, it's sort of like a, a Las Vegas without a theme, thankfully, uh, and figuring out how you make the best and support each other, but also not get in each other's way. Okay. And, um I mean, one of the things I wanted to touch on was resourcing. Obviously, it's been uh, it came up yesterday as, as the biggest challenge from the audience. Anyway, um, was cited as being the biggest challenge that the that the industry uh, is currently facing. So, um, when it comes to you know putting on an event at Silverstone or, or Wembley, I'm just interested to see how that's been for you in the in the, in the past year. And are things getting better? Um, I'm not sure if they're getting better, but I think we're all finding ways around it, different different working models perhaps. Um, definitely the engagement and that relationship with our partners and our contractors is really, really key at the moment. I think we're finding ourselves having to go out to more partners, um, which adds a logistical issue. Um, but actually what we're finding is if we do that, then we get better engagement um, and better control over those facilities and those resources that we're bringing in. Okay, and um, same for you, Paul. Uh, yeah, I mean the um, the immediate challenge post pandemic was um, was quality. Um, where where we are now, I guess same, same as Lucy, we we've increased the number of um, of partners that we we um, we get our our, our teams from. Uh, we've never struggled on getting the the, the numbers, um, and we also haven't struggled getting the the quality 
um, at manager, supervisor uh, level, um, um, but you know a little bit further down uh, down the chain, uh, there has been a bit of a, a bit of a challenge. Um, something we should have been doing um, before now, but in the last year, we now pay like London living wage to 100% of staff um, who do anything at the stadium, which um, has absolutely helped. Um, because when we're, when we're operating a live event, we're never the only gig in town. Uh, there's, there's invariably other events happening in and around the capital. Um, and you know, occasionally we get into, it's classed as a red day, where um, there's a lot going on. And it's a, um, it, the challenge is ensuring that you know, our numbers are where we need our numbers to be. Uh, to be able to deliver the event um, safely. Okay, um, just, just one of the things that's been coming up as well is that potentially the industry should be uh, lobbying government to fund uh, kind of, you know, get that, uh, fund a campaign that encourages young people to kind of get out and get back out to events, whether it's events, hospitality, restaurant, you know, essentially a kind of, there was a London campaign, I think, a few years ago, but this one being more of a national campaign. Um, do you think, um, Lucy, do you think that's something that that realistically kind of we could achieve as an industry and, and should be pushing for? I mean, I think any support um, would be welcomed. Um, I mean, I think uh, it's been, I think since pandemic, it's been particularly hard on the event industry and venue owners. Um, and I, I think we've probably lost um, some really good people out of that. Um, so yes, I think you know. I, I, I'm not sure whether it should be led from the government um, or from ourselves, but getting back out there and uh, finding finding the uh, younger generation now to support that uh, sector that's been lost. Um, anything that we can do is going to improve um, the issues that we're finding, especially as you say on the ground, finding those that caliber of person who wants to be there and who is going to stand up wear our logo on the jacket and and do the piece that we want them to do which is that whole customer engagement making wonderful memories um and also ensuring that we're safe okay and we just go to another audience member question that's just popped up there um what as a venue owner are you doing to support suppliers in workforce and resourcing challenges who would like to take that on um, I guess uh, going back to the point I, I made, um, we um, the fact we're paying full London living wage to um, all of our suppliers. Um, uh, part of the agreements we have with all of our suppliers, not getting into any of the confidential elements of, of the contracts, is that 100% um, of that has to be uh, pushed on to uh, to the individual. Um, we we run an awful lot of um, of training days um, at the stadium at at, at our expense. Um, in the past, um, that wasn't necessarily always the case, um, but we now we have a duty um, to ourselves um, and to and to our suppliers that we we help and support um, each other as much as possible uh, during times that you know they continue to be to be challenging for everyone. Okay. Would you like to answer that one as well, or? I mean, I think we're I think we're probably in a very similar position. I think we always look at the welfare of our staff, and we try to improve that year on year. 
um, and that ranges from uh, the uniform they get, uh, the food offering that they get, the sort of social um, contact that they get with the permanent team on site. Um, I mean, the problem that we've got is that the majority of our workforce come for a few weeks of the year um, and then peter out. Um, and so it's encouraging people to return to us year after year. And those are the people that we want because they've got the knowledge of the site and the, the passion to do the job as well. Um, so we're always very mindful about looking after our staff when they're, when they're on site with us. Okay, and, and in terms of doing things collectively as an industry during the pandemic, um, you know, a lot of progress was made in terms of you know, live being formed, which is made up of 14 or 15 industry associations. So there was more of a, cl a clear, cohesive voice uh, when it came to lobbying government. Now, when it comes to venues, it strikes me, obviously, you've got the National Arena Association. You've got, well, on the grassroots side, it's less of an association, but it's more of a, a trust, more of a charity, but you've got the Music Venues Trust essentially banging on the door of government to, to, to raise the profile of the situation that grassroots venues are in. Now, I could be wrong, but I'm not aware that there's a stadium, stadiums association that I'm aware of. I'm wondering whether, would it, would it, would you agree or not that it would make sense that perhaps stadiums and arenas and grassroots venues and theatres should be collectively talking round a table to share experience to, to talk about you know um, key themes and also collectively lobby government from a venues broader venue perspective would that work do you think um, go, go for you first yeah I mean I think Sharing information is invaluable, and I've been in touch with the larger stadiums and the larger venues um, about sharing resources. Um, we just recently held an event called The Power of Events, which really is pulling in the various sectors and how we can share information and support each other. So if there was a collective way uh, to do that, I think it would be invaluable for learning and for operations, um, supporting staff, la labor, all of that. Great stuff. And you, Lucy? Yeah, I think I'd agree. I mean, I think I think the agenda and uh, the uh, sort of the overall aim and ambitions would have to be carefully aligned to make sure that it uh, was fit for purpose and 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 everyone benefited from that. Um, I have seen since the pandemic that there has been so much more cohesion between different venues and different organisations, and people are far more uh, willing and engaging to to sit and talk. Um, and share those experiences, and I, I know that personally I've, I've taken a lot from that. Okay, and, and from your perspective as a you know, stadium operator, um, what's your view? Yeah, I mean, um, yes, I do, I agree. Um, um, and, you know, we as, a, as an organisation, we have a, a full public affairs team that are, um, they are, no, they're, they're, they're the team's people who would um, lobby uh, government on all manner of uh, challenges and issues for us as a venue and us as a, uh, a governing body for, for, for football. Okay, great stuff. And we are pretty much out of time, but um, without wanting to risk overrunning, if there's any last questions, now is your final opportunity. Otherwise, we will wrap up. Don't see any coming in. Okay, guys, well, um, please show your appreciation for, for the panel. Thank you very much.